Alright, thank you choir. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Micah chapter 3, we're going to be there this morning and as you may know, we've already covered chapters 1 and 2 and Micah is speaking to the people of God in Jerusalem and in Israel in the 700s BC and he is calling them back to God. And uh, the first chapter we looked at the issue of worship and he's confronting them on the fact that they have uh, gone astray in their worship of God. And we learned that even in the church, we must keep the gospel at the forefront of our minds. Christ must be central in all that we do if we're going to worship God properly. And then in chapter 2, we looked at how the people of God were relating to money and the greed that was present there and the corruption. And we even talked about us as a church, as, as people of God, how we can be generous because of what Christ has done for us. And it's the gospel and the gospel alone that puts us in a position to be generous with all that we have. And then in chapter 3, we're going to look at this morning the issue of leadership. And uh, as you turn there, we're going to see Micah confronting several positions of leadership within the people of God. And uh, it got me thinking about job descriptions. You know, for, like if you were going to fill, up, fill leadership positions, you might come up with a job description. You know, just recently, our church here, we've come up with a couple job descriptions, one for a uh, uh, minister of children and one for a minister of youth that we're seeking to fulfill. And um, in that job description, you have at least two things present in a job description. One, you have the qualifications. You know, here's what we're looking for in a person in order to fill this position. And then you have expectations. Once you're in the position, this is what we're hoping that you will do. And hopefully that will match up with the person that you hire. Well, one of the things that is always in the job description of a godly leader, and we know throughout the, throughout the scripture we see a number of different people filling different positions of leadership, but one common thread that runs throughout every job description of biblical leadership is a uh, love for justice. A love for what's right. In other words... You know, they need to be someone who wants to do the will of God. Which that's simply what it means to pursue justice, right? God is just, and this idea of good and evil stems from who God is. All that God loves is good, what God hates is evil, and so the people that you want in positions of biblical leadership are people that are going to seek the good. They're going to seek the will of God. And so we look at biblical leadership and we see that you know, these biblical leaders, not only do they need to seek the will of God, but that is synonymous with seeking the good of God's people. And so biblical leadership or godly leaders seek the good of God's people according to, to the will of God. At least that's what they're supposed to do. But Micah confronts a people that are not fulfilling that job description. Somehow they got into these positions of leadership without being qualified. And so we're going to see Micah delivering a message to uh, three types of leaders within Judah and Israel. And he's going to spend most of the time on the first two, but he's also going to include the third at the very end. And we'll see that in just a moment. But the first one he confronts is in verse 1. And he says, And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. 
So right off the bat, we see Micah addressing these heads of Jacob and these rulers of the house of Israel. And if you know much about Israel and Judah at the time, you know they were ruled by a king. And at this point, you actually had two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. Both were ruled by a king. However, although the king ruled over the whole kingdom, you had more localized leadership underneath the king. Rulers, judges, for example. And so, although the king had supreme authority, you had these more localized leaders. And it's interesting, when you read the Old Testament, you notice that many of the prophets tend to confront the king. But Micah goes to the more localized leaders, these heads of tribes of Jacob, or heads of Jacob, or these rulers of the house of Israel, perhaps the the local judges that are giving rulings. And he says that here's the problem. You know, to be a godly leader, you're supposed to love the good and hate the evil. You're supposed to love what God loves. But you leaders hate the good and love the evil. You're in direct contrast to, to the person of God. And therefore, obviously, they're, they're receiving this message of rebuke. And then he goes on to say, this is, this is the consequence of your leadership. This is what is happening because of your leadership. And he compares them to cannibals. And he says, who tear the skin, you who tear the skin off my people and their flesh off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces, chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. In other words, he's saying, you you leaders who are supposed to be pursuing justice, pursuing the will of God, pursuing the good of the people because the people flourish under justice because you hate the good and love the evil you are oppressing and devouring the very people that you're supposed to be serving and helping to grow in their relationship with God and then he tells them their consequence of their sin this is the punishment for their sin and and as I was thinking about this I don't know if you can have a worse punishment than this, if you think about it. Look at verse 4. This is what Micah tells them. He says, Then they, meaning the rulers, these corrupt rulers, then they will cry to the Lord, but He will not answer them. He will hide His face from them at that time, because they had made their deeds evil. In other words, he's saying, you, know, you, you devour people with your leadership, And basically you are very self-centered. You're seeking all these things for yourself and you're stripping the people in order to please yourself. There will come a time when you will be devoured by another people and you will cry to the Lord and He will not hear your prayer. And then Micah says, He will hide His face from you. Now this is not the only place in Scripture where we see that our lives affect our prayer life. You know, for example, in Proverbs 21.13, we read, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. In other words, if you refuse to care about what God cares about, your prayers will be hindered. You will call out, And they will not go past the ceiling. (laughs) 
God will not hear them and not attend to them. Then in 1 Peter 3, 7, the Apostle Peter says this. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So again, we see, you know, husbands, how you treat your wife affects your prayer life and your communication and communion with God. It affects your relationship with God. And again, we see throughout the scripture, both in Micah, as well as here in Peter, and we go back to Proverbs, we see that when, when we pursue something other than God's will, okay, when we are walking in contrast to God's will, we cannot expect God to attend to our prayer. You know, God says to these leaders, I will hide my face from you, and I will not hear you. You know, sometimes, even today, we treat God like a vending machine. You know, things are going well, and then you get hungry, and so you run to the vending machine, you put in the coins, you hit the button, you get some crackers out to you know, satisfy your hunger. Or you get thirsty, you go to the vending machine, press the button, get the drink, and everything's fine for a little while. And that's how we approach God sometimes. We think He's this vending machine that I'm going to go through my life, do what I want, but then when I get in trouble, I'm going to run to God and try to get the quick fix. Push the button, get the drink, get the crackers, and be on my way. But that's not how it works. See, you are in a relationship with God if you're in Christ. And God says, He attends to your prayer if you are pursuing His will. If you want His will. He's telling these leaders, He attends to their prayer if they were to love justice, love good, and hate the evil, but rather they hate the good, love the evil, and so He's going to hide His face from them. So we see that God's ears are in tune to those who are seeking justice, seeking His will. The second group of leaders that He addresses are the prophets. And we see that in verse 5. Micah writes, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry, Peace, when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. And so their sin was that they were leading God's people astray through manipulation. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a man, his name was John Tetzel, and he lived in the late 1400s, early 1500s. And what he did and what he's known for is he's known for raising money for a structure that they were building in Rome at the time. And he did so through what's called the selling of indulgences. And what that means is he would go around and tell the people of the church of the day, he said, here's what you can do. Uh, if you have sinned or you think you will sin, you can give money and you'll be forgiven of that sin. The church will grant you forgiveness. And he had this saying that was made popular uh, through his speeches, and it goes like this. When a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And this was the manipulation part of his sale, and that is, okay, let's say your mother has died, and now they're in purgatory. And the doctrine of the church at that time, they believed that you, know, you go to purgatory to be purified for heaven, which you know, our church doesn't hold to that view. We believe that if you're in Christ, you're already purified, 
and you're going to heaven when you die. But there was this idea of uh, purgatory where you are purified to make it into heaven. And so let's just imagine you were you listen to John Tetzel and your mother had passed away and she's in purgatory being purified. And John Tetzel comes and says, you know what? What you can do is you can give money to the church and shave off some of those years that your mother has to spend in purgatory. And what would you do? You know, your poor mother is in purgatory. Will you just give? And when the coin and the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. See, manipulation. You know, it wasn't just isolated to Judah and Israel, but it's alive and well in the church throughout the centuries. We use religion to manipulate to get something that you want. And that was the crime against the prophets. And the consequence is that they will be cut off from the Lord. You know, the whole role of the prophet is that they were, they were given a vision. They were given the word of God and they were able to communicate the word of God to the people. And they were supposed to communicate it without partiality. But what the prophets were doing that day is they were given the word of God and they would say, well, I'll give it to you as long as I have something to eat. I'll, I'll tell you something favorable But if you don't give me what I want, then I'm going to speak destruction on you. And so their consequence was they're cut off from the Lord. We see in verses 6 and 7, Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down, the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. And so we see a very similar consequence as the ones before with the leaders, and that is, you're cut off from communication with God. And like I said, I can't think much of a, what would be a worse punishment than that. And then he goes on to, to touch on the third group, and he just briefly mentions this third group, but I want to highlight it here as well. And we see in verse 11, he's talking about the rulers at the beginning here, and it says, its heads give judgment for a bribe, talking about the rulers, the judges, And then it says, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. And again, you see the the error of the priest, and that is, they will teach for a price. In other words, they will teach you what you want to hear for a price. And if you don't pay that price, then they'll, you know, Proclaim destruction against you, perhaps. And it reminds me of Paul's address to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, when he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And we see this today where you have preachers that they only preach maybe half of the gospel. You know, maybe it's, it's all a bed of roses in the Christian life in the Christian faith. 
And they fail to touch on the brokenness and the sin and the evil present among us. And we just talked about this Wednesday night that as a church we need to hear and proclaim the full counsel of God. Whether it's popular or not, we need to go chapter by chapter, book by book throughout the whole scripture and understand the wholeness of what God has to say to us. Not just what is good, but also what is broken and what we need to hear to be confronted on and dealt with in our own lives. And then look at the consequence in verse 12. Now the consequences previously mentioned of the rulers and the prophets, they seem to be individual consequences. You know, the rulers, uh, you're corrupt, and so when you are in trouble, God's not going to hear your prayer when you cry out to Him. Prophets, you know, you're not speaking God's Word without partiality, and so we're just, you know, your, your line of communication with God is going to be cut off. Your vision is going to become dark. But now we see, because of the corruption and all these different layers of leadership, look what the consequence is going to be in verse 12. Micah says, Therefore, because of you all, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. And this is something that I'm sure the people, they could not believe they were even hearing. You're telling me, because of some of the corruption in our country, in our nation, in the nation of Israel and Judah, Jerusalem and the temple, they're going to be plowed under? I mean, that's a little far-fetched, isn't it? I mean, is God really going to do that? Is God really going to plow under the temple stone by stone? I mean, is He really going to take His people out of the promised land? Well, we know God is full of grace and mercy and He extends this warning over the next 100 years in the life of Judah. And the prophet Jeremiah will come on the scene and see the destruction of the temple as they are taken into exile. And what we see here for the church and for the people of God in general is that we are, we are more connected than you think with each other. We're more connected than you think with each other. You know, with the people of God in Micah's day, not everyone was a judge, not everyone was a prophet, not everyone was a priest. However, because of their disunity and corruption, the whole community suffered exile for it. And it's the same with us today as a church. You know, we are the body of Christ. And the Hill Baptist Church, for example, is a local expression of the body of Christ. And there are several of local churches around the Augusta area that are these local expressions of the body of Christ. And so as a community of people, the church is a people, and we are connected more than you think. And that's why... The New Testament writers refer to us as a body because we each have a role and when one of us is not seeking after the Lord, it affects all of us. You can imagine if your body, if your shoulder was dislocated, I mean, is that not going to affect the rest of your body? Well, surely it will. Or if your ankle's broken, you think that's going to affect the rest of you? It will. 
And as a community of people, we are affected by the individual's sin among us. Same thing with the people of God then. There was corruption, but not everyone was guilty of the same sin. But yet the whole community suffered exile because of it. So, what we need to do is ask ourselves, you know, am I seeking, even though I may not be in a certain leadership position or have a certain title, because I'm connected to this body, am I seeking the will of God? Do I love what God loves? And do I hate what God hates? You know, am I pursuing the will of God? And what I see is, and I'm burdened by this, and I know you are too, as you hear about the churches, even churches around our city, where we are, we are suffering and we are not fulfilling God's purpose for us. And we know just like Israel and Judah, because of what was going on there, God brought exile now, what God will do to us is that he, He's not going to take us out of the land, but what He will do, He'll, he'll take away the lampstand. And you can read about this in Revelation chapter 2. But your lampstand can be taken away. And I look around to the churches in the, in the city, and there are some that are fulfilling God's purposes, and I think are representing Christ very well. And there are other churches in our city that are having their lampstand dismantled. Piece by piece, and the light is growing dimmer. And dimmer. But it all comes back to the people, the community of faith. Are we willing to seek out the will of God? Are we willing to be the godly leaders that God is calling us to? Well, look back with me at verse 8, because Mike is going to give us a description of the type of leaders we need to be, the type of people we need to be in order to fulfill God's purposes for His people and for His church today. Micah says in verse 8, But as for me, I am filled with power with the Holy Spirit of the Lord, or with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to God, or to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. And so what we see here is Micah is saying, a godly leader is someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's almost as if he makes this synonymous, that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be filled with justice and might. Justice meaning I am passionate about the will of God, the word of God, what God says. And I'm filled with his spirit. And whenever God fills someone with his spirit, and we see it all throughout scripture, whenever he fills someone with his spirit, he does it for a purpose. And Micah says, for me, that purpose is to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now, what about us? You know, the church, the New Testament believer, those of us who are on this side of Jesus and the cross, it's, you know, the Bible teaches us that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. You know, when you are born again, when you place your faith in Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit. And so what's the purpose? Why? Well, we know the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ through working on us and our character and who we are. But what's the, what's the empowerment for? Why are we empowered? What are we to do? Well, we get a glimpse in Acts 1.8 when we read, when Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we see here, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a representative of Christ wherever you go. And that's what he told these early disciples. Whether you're in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, it doesn't matter where you are, you are to represent Christ. That's what you are empowered to do by the Holy Spirit. And so by extension, you and, you, you and I, if we are in Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit, and we are empowered by Him to make Christ known, to represent Christ, not only to one another, but to the world, wherever we are. That's our role. That's our purpose of being empowered. And then you may say, well, Ron, you know, I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a deacon. I don't serve on a specific committee. I'm not a quote-unquote leader. So how does that apply to me? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, these verses say this. As you come to Him, talking about Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so you may not have a specific title, but according to the Apostle Peter, we are a kingdom of priests. In other words, all of us who are in Christ, we stand here, we stand in our city, and we represent Christ to the world. You are a kingdom of priests. And so we are to carry out that function wherever we go. And that function is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to represent Christ to a watching world. And therefore, we need to lead well as the church, as the people in the church. We need to lead well, and we do so by depending on the Holy Spirit to give us a love for justice, which is the will of God, as revealed in the Word of God. And we do so by depending on the Holy Spirit to enable us and empower us to carry out the will of God. And so the question is for us, will you allow the Holy Spirit to make you this type of godly leader in our church and in our city? Let us pray. God, we come to you this morning challenged by Micah's words, even though they were directed to a people Almost, almost 3,000 years ago. But yet we see a lot of continuity between His message then and His message to us this morning. That you are, you are still concerned with justice. You still want your people to seek your will as revealed in your word. You still empower us by your Holy Spirit for a purpose. To represent Christ to the world. Lord, I pray that you would bless this lampstand called the Hill Baptist Church. I pray that the light going out from among this community would be very bright. And it would be a light that would lead people to Jesus Christ. And I pray for the other churches in our city. Lord, I pray they would burn brightly with the truth of the gospel. That the people within every church community in this city would keep you as their first love. And they would lead well in the power of the Holy Spirit, whether they are pastors, deacons, part of committees, businessmen, teachers, moms, dads, kids. Or if we are in you, we are a kingdom of priests. 
Lord, I pray you strengthen us, empower us by your Spirit to represent you well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.